Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Tuesday, June the 6th, 2023. Uh, last week, we did a Rather entertaining show with an Australian-based writer, Alex Rivchin, on the history of anti-Semitism. Uh, Alex has a new book out, The Seven Deadly Myths, Anti-Semitism from the Time of Christ to Kanye West. I'm not sure if he was trying to compare Kanye and Christ, um, but uh, it was an entertaining conversation. And we got to the use of the Y word, regular viewers, listeners to the show know that I'm a big fan of Tottenham Hotspur Football Club in North London. And there's been an ongoing debate about whether the supporters of the team should use the Y word. We all know what the Y word stands for in terms of an ironic chant, given that many of their supporters have historically been associated with the Jewish community. Uh, lots of debate about it. Some supporters believe it's insulting. Others think it represents um, a form of cultural defense. Uh, and who better to ask whether we should have permission to use the Y word than my guest today, Paul Goldberg, is a great novelist. Um, we're going to talk about his new book, uh, The Dissident. Uh, but uh, he also has an award-winning book, The Yid, a novel, and Paul is joining us from Washington, D.C. So, Paul, where do you stand or sit on the use of the Y word by uh, my team in North London? Should we be allowed to? Well, first of all, thank you for having me, Andrew. Uh, yes, is my answer. Go right ahead. But I'm possibly the wrong person to ask because my skin is incredibly thick on that. Uh, the, although if you were to use the word, the Russian version of this word, I might punch you out. Uh, the Yid... What, I, what's the Russian version? Zhid, which is actually Polish normal ver word for Jew. Uh, so that I might punch you out on. But the English version, I'm probably okay. It's also... Also, it's a, it's a Yiddish word for Jew as well. So I Yid, you know... It's, a, it's almost done as a question. Are you? Um, so uh, I, I'm okay with it. You won't. You, and actually, I named the book The Yid, my first novel, uh, because uh, I was, uh, I just decided to claim the word. Uh, you know, like my gay friends call themselves queer. It's uh, claim the word. What the hell? You can't hurt me if I reclaim the word. So uh, I said, the heck with it. Let's use it. And I'm approving. Uh, I think it's, it's, it's a good choice, Paul. The, the book, The Yid, um, focuses on Moscow in February 1953. And your new book, The Dissident, uh, moves forward a little bit. It comes to um, Moscow in 1976. So tell us a little bit about the background of this book, which, like all your work, is enormously satirical, funny, irreverent, naughty, and important. Oh, thank you so much for this. Uh, 
It's set in Moscow in 1976. I happen to know Moscow in 1970, of 1976 a little, maybe even too well. Uh, I came to the United States in 1973 at age 14. So I kind of wasn't there in 76. But 76 is right in the beginning of, uh, of the Moscow-Helsinki group, the dissident movement's sort of greatest achievement. Um, and the monitoring of the human rights commitments uh, made by the Soviet Union in Helsinki at the conference. Anyway, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a long and complicated and fascinating period. But I know the history. I know the people. I actually know some of the individuals who appeared in this book. Uh, I, I just honored them by putting them in there. Alongside. Well, I hope you didn't honor them too much, Paul. You're not that kind of writer. One of the characters who comes into the book a little bit is Henry Kissinger, I think just celebrated his 100th anniversary, his 100th birthday. Give us the background to the book and the Moscow well, of 1973, which uh, makes sense of the book, The Dissident. What was it like? It was much grayer than the Moscow of today, wasn't it? Well, it's pretty dark there right now. Uh, I mean, there's some illumination. It's a different but, kind of darkness, though, Paul, isn't it? But there is. There it's is a gray darkness, as it was in '73. Yeah, it's it's evil at this point, actually. Mm. Um, but on the other hand, uh, uh, some of the same people I know, uh, I knew then, I, I know now, and and they're some of the most interesting people you'll ever meet. Uh, I can go from Moscow, from Washington to Moscow and find that I can have the same conversations with the same types of people in in different languages. Uh, so it's not, you know, it's not all dark. It's not all gray. So my, uh, my characters uh, are the dissidents, uh, members of the Moscow intelligentsia, uh, very much... Uh, well, I've, I've written two books, nonfiction books, as, as a young man. Really, my first book was a history of the Moscow Helsinki group. And once I've done the book, and the book just was full of surprises for me. No matter what I did, I would just take a turn and the whole story would just twist in another direction. And I ended up creating an audio archive uh, of my conversations with the direct participants of the Moscow Helsinki group and, uh, and other dissidents. Um, so I kind of knew the stuff, very much knew the stuff, because you, know, you kind of had to really go at this, talk to them in Russian with the understanding of the culture. And I did write that book. And actually that book is, is kind of a history that's embraced now in Russia of, of the Helsinki movement. Um, one um, one uh, of your friends, or certainly some one of your admirers, described uh, the book as crime and punishment for the Jews. Uh, there's a strong Jewish element. Of course, it's not only about Jews, uh, Paul. But um, was the the dissident movement in in 1973 associated with the Helsinki Awards? Was uh, a, uh, not awards Helsinki Accords? Was it dominated by Jews? What about the and, and, and correct me if I'm going completely in the wrong direction here. What about the Solzhenitsyan element of, of of the dissident movement, which certainly wasn't very Jewish. No, 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 no. There are there are actually kind of a kind of, well, there's a variety. There's a multitude of 
of uh, of movements that can be called the dissident movement to some extent, but the, really the very core of it is the, is the Soviet human rights movement, which really begins in um, in the mid nineteen sixties. Really, it begins with Samizdat, becomes begins with literature. If you really want to make an argument of that one, and I would, uh, and and these people would be pretty much everybody. It's. Uh, uh, Jews, non-Jews, who cares? Uh, but it is mostly an intelligentsia movement. So you might define that word. Not all our audience will be uh, familiar with this term, intelligentsia. It, it's it, it's not. You don't mean it as Americans talk about intellectuals, do you? It overlaps, uh, but it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be somebody with a degree. It doesn't have to be. The, the word is is basically. Somebody who cares about it's a moral and ethical concept, basically more than anything. It's it's somebody who cares about uh, uh, about being decent, and uh, uh, and most many of these people, of course, are highly educated intellectuals. So uh, um, there's that. So I hope that answers it. But it's 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 a term that goes back into the 19th century, and it changes around every which way but but really i mean it in the original kind of way which is the people who for whom it's a moral and ethical term look and at there's the also uh, uh, uh you talk about a human element a humor element too um yeah uh, that, in contrast with intellectuals uh members of the intelligentsia don't take themselves quite as seriously do they well, they take themselves incredibly seriously, but but they're funny people. They're hilarious people. They're people you want to have a glass of vodka with, uh, or an evening conversation that runs into deep into the night, and it's just totally a hoot to hang out with the Moscow. Yeah, I mean, it seems to me that I, I, a few years ago I had Gary Steingart on the show. I'm sure you're familiar. I'm sure you're familiar with his work. You probably know him. He seems the quintessential example of a member of the intelligentsia. Is that fair? Sure. sure. Uh, but in the context of Russia, I mean, he, he like I left fairly young. Uh, I was a little older, uh, actually, when I left. So I kind of grew up in that, uh, Amelia. Uh, and, uh, but there are these sort of different groups here. So there's the intelligentsia, sort of the, not so much, there's the human rights movement. Okay, then there's the Jewish uh, immigration movement, which could be intersecting with the human rights movement. And then there's, of course, the Russian nationalist movement, uh, which is Solzhenitsyn, whom you mentioned. So these are three very different groups, and uh, which intersect and interact. Uh, the 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 Soviet human rights movement uh, is is a um, elite movement. I'm, again, I'm using this. To, in moral and ethical way. So if you and I are publishing Summers Dot or you and I are uh, writing letters to American groups or to the United Nations, let's say, uh, I know who you are. Or, or if we're publishing actually for journalists, uh, underground journalists, uh, I trust you, you trust me. Uh, I'll die for you. I'll do anything for you. That is the Moscow human rights movement, and it's and they're totally nonviolent, and they're also totally the kind of people 
could trust each other. The Jewish movement is very different because what you have is uh, you cannot have a national liberation movement that is elite and selective. So anybody can come in. And actually the people who were making the refuseniks, people who couldn't get out of the Soviet Union, were the KGB uh, because they were the ones deciding. Um, sorry if I'm droning on. So they were deciding, you stay, you go. So you put in a few of your own agents into that sort of milieu. So the Jewish movement was completely penetrated by the KGB, viewed like this, uh, in, you know, by, by the KGB, which is why they had to be open entirely, because, you know, so what? Um, and then there's also this uh, counterpart to that is a, is a movement in the United States, which is the largest Jewish movement in history of the United States, which was the Free Soviet Jury movement. And that was... life in a sense, Paul, the life that you're describing in 1973, your book is described as um, a Cold War mystery um, or a Cold War satire. But life was like being in an espionage book because you never quite know who was who. Everyone was pretending to be someone else. Yep. Yep. You knew some of the people were who they say they were, but but once you kind of got away from the human rights movement, which was never penetrated really seriously by the KGB and into the kind of the Jewish part of it, which was completely, then yeah, things got very... How competent very was the KGB? You've noted today that Russia, Moscow today is defined by and sort of the darkness of evil. Was there evil in 1973? Was it, or was it, was it mostly a Russia of, of Schwecks, of incompetent bureaucrats stumbling around in the dark? Well, uh, uh, this thing is taking place in 1976, and I wanted to also bring in the KGB curator of, of my protagonist. So she is the person assigned to him to, to sort of lead his case, direct his case. And she's kind of whining about all the nincompoops in, in, in her directorate of the KGB, the incompetence, uh, telling jokes about it. And uh, so she's kind of trying to talk, get get his trust so he can help her with this issue. But but really, to me, um, the uh, uh, the KGB would be a whole, sort of a range of people, but mostly it would not be the brightest human beings on earth. Uh, my my curator. You, you can be you can be more honest, or you could be more overt. Uh, so they were they were rather dim-witted characters, boys from the countryside, were they mostly? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. See, I don't really know those people. I was not old enough to mm. have had a curator. Well, how old was? Well, I guess Putin was too uh, too young in seventy three, but uh, seventy six. I'm sorry, I keep on talking yeah. about seventy three. So uh, you left. In 73, 76. So how old would Putin have been in 76? I think he would have been just joining the uh, the KGB roughly about that time. Uh, he's a little older than me. Yeah, he would be probably just joining and going to Germany sh shortly thereafter. I, I don't have his time. I mean, I think he had a more s senior position. Um, and what about the politics of the time? Um, uh, Paul? Oh, 
Yeah, it's taking place against the backdrop of detente, uh, which is uh, the uh, the Nixon, Ford, and Kissinger policy of, uh, I mean, approach to foreign politics of 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 uh, of, uh, of not quite peace with the Russians, but 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 kind of relaxation of tensions is the way the Russians call it, but Americans use the French word. Uh, so during this detente, uh, uh, their trade was really an issue. Um, the Americans uh, came up with this. Uh, uh, the American Jews, for example, actually, the Jewish movement was opposed, was, 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 uh, pro was, uh, well, was behind the Jackson Amendment, which is uh, Scoop Jackson Amendment to allow immigration and tie commercial ties to, you know, commercial interactions to immigration from from the Soviet Union. Uh, we've done some shows, Paul, uh, one with a, a Princeton historian, Harold James, a couple of years ago, suggesting that the, the gerontocracy, the old men who run the Soviet Union in the mid-70s are not unlike the old men and women who run America in the 2020s, the Joe Bidens, the Diane Feinsteins. Is there any truth to that, do you think? I like Joe Biden, frankly. Or right? Donald Trump, another old man pretending to yeah, be younger than the age of like much. Uh, but uh, uh, not nearly. But, I mean, the sense of decay, of the fact that young people don't have much of a political voice, that the political system doesn't work, and it's on the verge of something new. Who knows yeah, what? Something crumbled with Gorbachev, of course. There was a generational change in leadership. Uh, but with uh, in my book, the main issue is, is Kissinger, right? So he is coming into Moscow, uh, and the crime that I have occur in the dissident uh, needs to be solved before his arrival, and he's a uh, he's a comic character, Kissinger. Anytime he enters the room, people would start laughing, wouldn't they, or crying, or both? Uh, probably mostly crying. For my character, who really is uh, the one who really looks at Kissinger, Kissinger is a hero because he comes from a you know here's an immigrant boy or refugee kid who becomes uh, America's top diplomat. Surely there's no anti-Semitism in America, therefore. So it becomes kind of this guy's thinking about all of this, about Kissinger. What is he like? He's a mystery to him. And then Kissinger gets to play a role in this book that is fictional and yet uh, realistic. I, I don't want to tell uh, that. Yeah, story. we don't want to give away the book. The, uh, the, the book is out today. And... It's already been reviewed, uh, shows the, the power of the Jews, Paul. It's already been reviewed in the Washington Post, which called it an imaginative thriller with quintessentially Russian trimmings and the New York Times, uh, murder, espionage, and a thick slice of Soviet life. Are both those headlines suggesting that Americans don't really get your Russian satire? Well, this book is different from my previous two novels uh, because it's really not written as humor. Um, their humor comes from the characters. Uh, the Yid is a, really a phantasmagoria, a fantasy about Stalin. Yeah. It's a comedy about Stalin. The other one is... A, is it's a, like the death of Stalin, that wonderful film. Very much consistent with the death of Stalin, which I agree is a wonderful, wonderful film. But it's it's basically some of the same stuff, but 
different because it's really on the ground on a different level and, and tells a very different story because they kind of tried to hit real history. I made up the history. Uh, but the dissident is, is a history uh, into which I inserted uh, this murder. And that's, uh, it, it's, it kind of closes over it. You know, so there's, there's a history, there's this murder, and then it kind of closes over it like so much water. But the characters are not, it's, it's, it's not a farce. The characters are, some of them are actually real people. Oh what are you trying? I mean, uh, I don't want to give away the plot. We want everyone to read the book. But what are you trying? Is, is this something you're trying to say, given that it's not quite the the humorous book uh, like the Yid, as you suggest? W is, is there a message in the book, The Dissident? Uh, it's a history uh, in some ways. It's well, what are you trying to say about this period? This That period is... Uh, is uh, is is a uh, is allows you. It's kind of like the uh, periscope into this period. Um, Russian history is uh, not quite repeating, but certainly rhyming right now with that period. You have a gerontocratic leader, Putin, uh, reverting to uh, some kind of a very oppressive structure. Uh, to some way, in some ways, really even more oppressive. Uh, because there's really a complete absence of laws. Uh, in the Soviet Union of 1976, you had some sort of appearance of, of, of legal procedures. But, you know, look at what's happening to Navalny now. Look at the stupid war that, that they've waged. So look at the level of corruption. All of that minus the war uh, uh, at that time existed. Uh well, there was a one. There was an invasion of Czechoslovakia, but there was. It wasn't this. Uh, so now you kind of have a complete destruction of uh, of any form of uh, of an intelligent life in that country. So, so are I, you saying that the, the Russia of twenty twenty three is rather like the Russia of nineteen seventy six? I would actually argue that it is much, 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 much worse uh, and much more. Honest. But today is worse. Today. It's much worse now. It's much more ominous uh, a place. I mean, can you be uh, in the Russia of 2023, Paul? Can you be a dissident? Can, or do you have the relative freedom to be the kind of dissident that you describe in your book? Uh, in the uh, it, The setting is so different. Like Navalny, if you call him a dissident, I think you would be wrong because he's a politician. These dissidents were not politicians. Uh, these were moral and ethical elite of their country who decided to, in some ways, to sacrifice their lives. And they're also very, very funny. <laughs> so that's kind of where the humor comes from. I mean, there's a ton of humor. It's funnier than my other book, but it's not a comedy. It's uh, it's really closer to a tragedy. It's uh, But it's also very inspirational to see these people do the right thing at great, great cost to themselves and laughing about that as well. So that's kind of where I was going with it. Um, did, did I mean, looking back, we can see the full period. Was anything achieved from this period in terms of 
detente. It seems like a, a slightly absurd word, almost a word invented by a satirist like you today. But did did detente do anything? Did it achieve anything? No, detente uh, uh, kind of uh, failed uh, uh, in some ways, but there were uh, actually agreements on nuclear arms uh, uh, that remained in force until about now uh, with Putin, which goes to your previous question. Um, they, and, and we're probably about as far away from detente right now as we will ever be. Uh, well, I hope we don't get any further because that would be a shooting war. Uh, so uh, I think this is more of a, it's not even a cold war. It's even worse than that. It's a war. So we're at war. There's a murder at the heart of uh, the dissident. And as I said, um, people have compared it already with crime and punishment. We've done a number of shows on murders recently, one over the weekend with the uh, crime writer, the thriller writer, Sienna Sterling, London-based, Tell Us No Secrets and We'll Never Tell Lies. We talked about the idea that we all have a murder in us. Is there something of that in this book? Uh, is there a Dostoevskian quality at least, or, or is that just yeah. an easy throwaway remark? Well, no, I mean, there is a murder, uh, which was uh, my, uh, uh, which was my invention. I took an actual situation in Moscow, uh, actual human beings, plus some uh, smattering of, uh, of uh, characters that I made up. Uh, and then into the middle of it all, I, I invented this murder, uh, axe murder, actually, uh, of two gay men in, in the center of Moscow. Uh, and the uh, protagonist walks in and he's told either solve this murder or uh face uh you know become a suspect of convenience and one of these people who died one of them is a uh, is a dissident uh and the other or he's actually known as the king of refuseniks uh and the other is a u.s foreign service officer who may or may not be running him as a as an asset um so yeah it is a tale of espionage in that way but the murder uh, didn't occur, but it's it was an interesting thing because it was something you can't really ignore because here are the corpses. It makes no sense, uh, but here they are. So deal with it. Do you uh, consider yourself, I mean, there's, as I said, people have compared this new book, The Dissident with Crime and Punishment. You just had a piece um, in Lit Hub about your affection and interest in the master... Uh, and uh, the master and uh, Margarita Bulgakov's great uh, novel. Um, do you think of yourself as a Russian writer? Are you are you using the 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 the, the Dostoevskis and the Bulgakovs of the world to develop your own craft? Or you're now based in DC, as he said, you came to America in the 1970s. It doesn't seem to me as if you have chosen or willing to lose a lot of your Russianness as a as a as a member yourself of the intelligentsia. Yeah. No, I, I thank you so much for that. Yes, I 
I kept that part of my identity deliberately and also through really good luck, uh, the, the, for, the good fortune to be to, to, con, to, to keep that part of me going. I'm probably one of the few Russian kids who came to America and, and to see their Russian improve. Uh, but do I consider? Myself- I don't know how unusual the Russians are. Now they all speak on the East Coast. You all seem to speak Russian to each other. In fact, if anything, it heightens their Russian. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I was. Uh, I had I had a lot of mentorship, uh, uh, which is kind of another thing that led to the creation of this book and to my understanding of the Helsinki movement. But do I consider myself a Russian writer? I think I'm just a writer. Um, the language, even a Jewish writer, Paul. Oh, I would consider myself easily a Jewish writer. That is definitely a good oh, good. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll have that as the headline. Paul, Paul Wahlberg says he's a Jewish writer. I couldn't call myself anything else, and not because I'm Jewish, but because my subject matter is Jewish. Could you uh, imagine ever writing a book without Jews in it? I, I haven't had to. Thank God. I don't have any new material, my material. Uh... <laughs> well, it's interesting that you, you, you wrote a really nice piece for, um, for Literary Hub uh, back in 2018, suggesting that every progressive should read The Good Soldier Shvek. But Shvek is not a very Jewish book, is it? No, really? not at all. Not at all. Um, but, you know, one part of being, um, being from Moscow and being Jewish as a good soldier, Shvek might as well be a great piece of work of Russian literature. Uh, so, uh, it's that, but yeah, it's interesting because I, I, in some of my books I've had, uh, almost like a mentorship of, of other writers. And, and I think in, with, with the year I, I thought of Schweik a lot, uh, a lot of other people did. Um, with this book, uh, I thought of the master and Margarita because really Bulgakov's Moscow is my Moscow. Uh, and, Explain uh, a little bit more. Well, you, you you wrote about this actually in in the Lit Hub piece today. Yeah, he lived. Uh, you know, his his part of his from the center of Moscow. Uh, his and it's interesting. I was just talking to a Ukrainian friend who said that she hates uh, uh, his Kiev book, which is the days of the Turbins uh, and uh, excuse me, the White Guard. Days of Trubin's exactly the same story, but a play. Um, but uh, she was saying she can't stand that book because uh, because it's sort of Russian imperialism in Kiev. And I said, well, it's easier for me because to me his greatest book is The Master and Margarita, which is the ultimate book of Moscow. Yeah, um, you, you note in the in, in your piece that you 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 first uh, read it when you were seven. You know, I didn't read it. It was described to me by my parents as we were walking down the streets because it had just come out. Here's a book that had been hidden from the KGB for 26 years uh, since the author's death. But, you know, Bulgakov writes about Moscow. I write about Moscow. Um, so in that sense, and then the book comes out and changes pretty much everything in the way the intelligentsia thinks uh, uh, and introduces a kind of a spirituality of sorts. And I'm arguing that it's a spirituality that's both Christian and Jewish. Right. Uh, is there a university? I mean, you you know, you couldn't really write a book without Jews, but The Dissident is also the, the title <laughs> of a movie, a 2020 movie about yeah. the assassination of Jamal 
Khashoggi in, in Istanbul. Is there a universal quality to this new book, The Dissident? Yeah. Maybe, maybe read I, The Dissident one day and then watch the movie about uh, Khashoggi uh, the next night? Yeah. Yeah, I think there are many, many faces to that. But I would suspect that I would have uh, no problem communicating with Khashoggi had he been alive. And uh, it's I a very uh, Paul Goldberg kind of narrative that you would chop someone up in little pieces and then smuggle them out. Very much. And, and very much. Very much. But getting back for a moment to Moscow, I mean, there's a, I, I hate to be the guy who shows the book. So I'm not going to show, I'm going to take off the. I'm going to take off the cover. Uh, but here, this I'm proud of because I didn't even do it. It's inside the book. There is oh, a, there's a map of Moscow. Okay, well, hold it up. Well, not everyone's watching. Uh, some people will listen, but at least some people yeah. will do this. Can you see it? Yeah. But there's a map of Moscow in there. So, um, and if you, if, so you can basically see where everything happens. And if after Putin is gone, uh, if you want to go back to Moscow, go to Moscow and use that map to do a tour, you'll see the center of Moscow. Will he ever be gone, Paul? Is well, he's 70 some years old. Uh, I suspect at some point he's going to be dead, uh, but also somebody might shoot him. No, we can only hope so. Finally, uh, your, your day job is as uh, the author of something called The Cancer Lab, <laughs> right? Um, so that's where you. That's where you do a lot of your work. I, I was struck, there's a, a recent story, which was astonishing, which could have been made up actually by you. Hundreds were mistakenly told they might have cancer, this new company, Grail. Um, what's happening there? And, 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 and in terms of your work as the author, publisher of the cancer letter, how does, which obviously cancer is a fairly serious subject, how does that fit with your writing as a, as, as a satirist? Ah. Well, it's it's it really the cancer letter is a weekly that 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 focuses on politics and money and cancer and, and cancer research. Uh, so um, it's kind of a life and death situations. Uh, we don't really write about actual patients as much as we probably should, but. We do write about the, you know, the lies and the, and the shenanigans. Uh, I, I've uh, I've led, you know, stories I've broken, have led to some really uh, involved some some big scandals. That's kind of like what what. What do you make of this latest scandal about Grail sending out all these letters saying that the people they tested had cancer when it turned out that they didn't? Well. Uh, this is this is a drug that uh, that excuse me the drug. This is a test that uh, <coughs> will tell you that you have one of X number of cancers. Uh, and uh, I have not looked into that story very much. Uh, I have looked into that kind of a test. And uh, you know you can have one of forty some cancers. Uh, yeah, thank you very much. Or you might not. Uh, again, you know, what do you do with it, with that information? So making that information actionable, one of the most important, the most important thing about any cancer test or any really diagnostic of any sort is, is, uh, is how actionable is it? And well, Paul, let's end with um, a reference to the sign behind you for people watching. 
it's hard to read, but uh, it seems to somehow capture the spirit of you and your work <laughs> and your life. Tell us a little bit about that, because uh, we can't read it, because when you have signs from behind, uh, the, the words are reversed. But perhaps remind us of what the sign behind you. I assume you're talking to us from your office. I am. I am. This is... Uh, I bought this in Baltimore maybe like 25, 30 years ago in the junk shop. And it says uh, our doctor is available at all times in Russian, well, in English, Yiddish, uh, Polish, and Russian. And it, on the corner it says Hayas, uh, which, is, which is a Jewish immigration agency. So what this is, uh, and it's stenciled. So it, it's clearly a... Uh, uh, a sign from uh, a displaced person camp, probably in, well, definitely in Europe, uh, that, you know, people who survived the war came to, uh, came there. And for some reason, it ended up in a junk shop in Baltimore, and I paid uh, $225 for it or something like that. And it's been on my, above my desk, kind of a, a reminder of, uh, Bad things that can happen and good things that can be done about it. Yeah, it's starting to talk about uh, engineers of the human soul. Maybe you're a, a doctor of the soul, Paul, and your work is is reminding people of what it means to be human. Is that fair? I hope so. That's certainly the goal. Uh, yeah, I hope. I don't know. It's it's a reader's decision, not not mine. I do the best I can. Uh